Okay, welcome to the Geary and Stein Sports Show. Alongside Will Stein, my co-host, I'm Troy Geary. Our podcast is available on Apple, Spotify, and Anchor, and now Amazon. On today's show, we're joined by former Seattle Seahawks offensive tackle, actor, and currently the vice president of the Orange County chapter of the National Football League Players Association, and also CEO and founder of Employers and First and Goal Project, Dave DeRoche. Dave, thanks for joining us today. Well, Troy, you either took a French class or you're from Montreal. <laughs> well, I, nobody... I, I assumed it was French. Uh, yeah, nobody nobody gets that right. Well, yeah, that's, cor- that's good stuff. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is that is that how you say it, French, or you say it DeRoche's? DeRocher. Okay. Yeah, but but DeRoche is the actual you know, pronunciation. That's that's good. Okay. Well, well, thanks for, <laughs> thanks for joining us today. Um, first off, I'll, I'll ask you questions. Uh, how did you get started into football? Um, kind of can tell us the story about that. Was it a, was it a first love early on in as a young boy, or did you kind of develop that love for football later in life? Well, yeah, I will tell you, and actually this is a kind of a, just a big part of my, of my story. Um, and I love speaking to young people uh, about, you know, getting to the NFL. And, and the question I always pose is, is um, you know, how many of you believe that the guys in the NFL were the best of the best going way back to high school? Because as we know, there's about 1.2 million young people playing high school football. And only as we whittle it down to, you know, scholarships and those, you know, playing Division One and, and so forth, you know, on average, it's about 180 guys make a roster or a practice squad. So, you know, how many of you believe they were the best of the best and most kids will raise their hand and, and I always tell them, well, I'm, I'm a testimony that uh, that's not the case. And as a matter of fact, I wasn't even going to play football. I, uh, I was a big guy and I had played my ninth and 10th grade years and, and uh, had knee surgery my ninth grade year, but then made it to the final cut for Olympic development in basketball and had a small scholarship offer to Cal State LA. And, and, and I wasn't very good at football. So I, uh, I told my basketball coaches, okay, I'm going to focus on basketball and that's it. And I was greeted by the new football coach and he came up to me and goes, Hey son, you going to play football this year? And I said, no. And he goes, why not? He goes, look at you. And I said, well, I'm not very good. And, uh, and, you know, I've got some opportunity in basketball. And he, and when he asked me where, where are you going to get a scholarship? I said, Cal State LA he goes, look, come play football for me. I'll get you a better scholarship. I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, I mean, I, I wanted to play. Um, so I go, you know, traipsing out there and, uh, gosh, after about three days or so, he pulls me aside as his son, uh, you're not very good. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. You know, bro. I try to tell you. And he goes, but you, you know, but, but you could be. And in his hand was a jump rope. And he said, what you need to do with your big size is you need to get lighter on your feet. Um, and jumping rope will help you with that type of coordination. And, you know, the last thing I wanted to do as a young 17 year old uh, young man uncoordinated was jump rope in front of anybody but but I wanted to get good at football so I took it home one day at a time one skip at a time man I learned to jump rope and got fairly prolific at it and I got very good at it um to the point where I remember you know co- come up to coach say hey you want to jump rope with me and, and he's doing like that one skip at a time deal you know and, and you know somewhat uncoordinated and I just went right into this routine and, uh, you know, and then I go on to say, you know, did it make me a better football player? I don't know. But I did, but I can't tell you this, is that it, it, the confidence it gave me when I saw how impressed he was. And he was impressed with my work ethic. 
to the you know to the point that I I took what his uh, recommendation was and and excelled on it. And with that, I earned a starting position uh, on the football team, and then went on to get five scholarship offers uh, and chose San Diego State over Cal, uh, Arizona. Uh, Fullerton offered me a dual scholarship, Hawaii, and uh, and chose San Diego State and. Uh, so he actually you know, was a man of his word and, and did give me a much better scholarship offer. Uh, but it was, it was just through, you know, a guy uh, who saw some potential in me and invested in me because he didn't need me on that team. We had five guys get D1 scholarships from that team and, and two of us made it to the pros. So it was a pretty good team. Awesome. What was it about San Diego State that interested in- you over the Arizonas, the Hawaii's, the Cows. What is it about San Diego State specifically that made you want to go there? Well, so you know, Cal and, and you know the Pac-12 schools. Uh, I, I, I was tall. I was six seven and a decent frame, but I wasn't big. I didn't, I didn't start lifting weights until, you know, I, I committed to actually playing football. So I was like maybe a couple hundred pounds. And, uh, and I went over to Cal and Arizona and those guys, I was going to get killed. And so I went down to San Diego and it was only a couple hours away and it was really great weather and the guys didn't look that good. I thought, okay, cool. I'll just come on down here and I might get a chance to play. And, uh, you know, that's not a great uh, reason to make a decision, but I'll tell you, it did work out really well for me. All right, Dave. Uh, next question I have for you is like, who was, or who, um, is someone who's inspired you? Well, I, I t- the person that inspired me to play football, Jack Youngblood. Yeah, uh, you know, it was it was he was just the dude, and you know, anybody that's got to play that game with a with a broken leg, you know, that um, it was just that's the guy I, I wanted to be, you know, growing up and wanted to to emulate uh, playing football. Um, but as far as you know, inspiration, I I, I can't name any one person. I do have to go back, though, and, and give a lot of credit to my high school coach, who I still see today. Uh, we get we grab breakfast. Um, we get, you know, this is, gosh, 35 years later, you know, and he's just, he was a great man and, and did a lot for me. It's funny, I, I spoke at a boys and girls club, and I invited him because he kept saying, Dave, I want to hear you speak. Cause I, do, I do a lot of uh, speaking. And so I invited him and, uh, and I gave I gave that story and I gave him a lot of accolades. He got a standing ovation of 500 uh, boys and girls club counselors. And, and I said, you know, Hey coach, I said, you know, what you did for me, you know, defined my life. And he said, Dave, I just talked you into playing football. Yeah. You did all the work, you know, is that kind of a guy. So he's, he's a very inspirational guy for me. Cool. Cool. Now you talked about broken legs and playing on a broken leg. Obviously you and I have some history from Super Bowl 56 at the Sierra Delta game Mm -hmm. where there was a lot of wounded warriors that have gone through a lot more than what you and I could possibly do. What is it about that foundation, the Sierra Delta foundation and that specific game and that specific cause that, one that gives you the opportunity to go to that game to be an inspiration to those folks. So, you know, I, I'll have to say that it, it probably isn't that one specific uh, a program that inspired me to do it is that I do a lot of things with a lot of veterans groups. 
Um, and it's just something that's become dear to my heart. I've been out at the West LA uh, VA uh, bringing food and clothes uh, to, to homeless vets. Uh, I work with a number of veterans uh, groups here locally in Orange County um, with a National Veterans Chamber uh, with a program called Care Possible that provides free uh, counseling and psychiatric care to, to veterans and their families. And, uh, and I can kind of go on and on MVP, which is a program with vets and, and former players. And it's just something that's, that if I can give back and, and assist veterans, it's just something that I, I will always do. As a matter of fact, uh, my, my nonprofit, the First and Goal Project, provides uh, free counseling, um, not counseling, but um, mentoring, uh, training, certification, and education to help veterans in transition. And, uh, and as a matter of fact, uh, next March, I just uh, booked um, Coda de Casa and I have a celebrity and veterans golf tournament. 100% of the proceeds will go to assist veterans and veteran uh, uh, support programs. And so that's going to be a, a really great event. So just uh, working with veterans and being alongside them is something that's dear to my heart. And I actually made some really neat friends that, uh, that I'm still talking to. And, uh, and hopefully they'll be at my tournament. Yeah, I'll segue off that. I know you kind of talked a little bit about your uh, current endeavor, the First and Goal Project, but uh, kind of talk a little bit more about that and the other um, thing that you started, uh, employers. Well, um, I've, I've kind of been in the career space for a while. I started another uh, startup. Um, it was an on online software program helping people to find their best suited career based on all their intrinsic characteristics and and then I got uh, asked to uh, assist another startup in the career space. And we put an email blast out to uh, a bunch of former NFL players through, through a mutual friend. And we had 90 former players click through and 16 guys asked to enroll in our um, introduction to manufacturing uh, program. And I allowed 15 minutes to speak to each one of these guys you know, just to get them signed up, say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start here. And, and every single one of those calls took over an hour. And I listened to these guys tell me how they're lost. You know, they're, they, and they're all guys like me, you know, one to five year guys uh, and, you know, 10 plus years removed from the league. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're, they're not the multi-million dollar guys, you know, they're, they're looking for a job, but they just don't have any, they didn't have anywhere to go. Uh, and we, we went through, we had 16 guys enroll. Uh, we got six guys OSHA certified, and I just I was just thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I didn't realize people struggled this hard, you know, in transition, and thought, boy, we could really do some some good things with with veterans, people coming out of incarceration, people coming out of treatment and and rehab, trying to break the cycle, give them some empowerment, give them some confidence, and expose them to higher paying jobs that can actually turn into careers and help change their lives. So that's what employers is the for-profit side, which is going to be the job placement. And the first and goal project is where we provide all these free services. And just so you guys are both football guys, but for those of you listening that maybe aren't, uh, the reason I came up with the first and goal project is that when a football team gets into the position of first and goal, their chance of success is 98%. That means they're going to score somehow 98% of the time, which is a very high success rate. However, when they start on their own 10-yard line, their chance of success is less than 10%. So how does a team get to be in a position of first and goal? It takes hard work, practice, coaching, being coachable, solid game plan, and then execution of that game plan. 
And so that's what the first and goal project provides individuals is all those things, those resources, that training, education, mentoring, which is like coaching to place individuals in their best chance of success or to be in a position of first and goal. And so that's the whole premise behind it. Okay, Dave, for people that are listening and say, you know, that's, I'm really interested in that cause, you know, they have a passion for it. How can they help out? Well, so, uh, so because the uh, First and Goal Project, uh, it's both of these are startups. The, uh, it is a nonprofit. The 501c3 has been filed with the IRS. It takes about a month or so to get, uh, to get done. We've been in the process for a minute. Um, so we do uh, accept uh, donations to help get the, off the ground to get veterans through the program or any other cause. Um, I'm currently talking to a donor that is, his heart is behind helping people coming out of uh, incarceration to help, you know, put a skin on those recidivism. You can help me with it. I'm a football guy. <laughs> but, but going back to jail, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And uh, we're trying Relax. to make a change there. Pardon me? Yeah, relapsing, going back. Well, there's a re re there's a fancy word for it. but Oh, okay. You know. Yeah. I, I can't think of the word offhand. But well, I but I see, but hey, Troy, I'm 57 and have concussions. So I get an excuse, you know, so, but, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, uh, and so they're, they're very uh, interested in, in being able to provide this to the uh, guys that are incarcerated as they're getting a release date or to be prepared. So, you know, when you get ready to go and you've already got a certificate in a manufacturing area uh, and an OSHA certification, it looks great on a resume. Uh, and what a lot of people don't realize about manufacturing jobs is that there's over a half a million open spaces in the area of manufacturing the job starting at 60,000 a year. So it's a, it's a high demand, higher paying job, doesn't require, and in, in, uh, in a lot of instances, a, a degree. And, and a lot of times they're open to, to hiring those coming out of incarceration or those that don't have any experience. So we're, we're focusing on a few areas. We're not you know, exclusive in those areas, but we're focusing on areas that people just aren't aware of. Manufacturing, project management, and green jobs that are in high demand, higher paying jobs that are actually careers, not jobs. Awesome. Going yeah. Well. Now, is this nationwide initiative or are you making this local to the state of California? How do you see this going forward and how can somebody participate in your golf tournament next year? Because I'm a golfer, as you see, I got ah. a master shirt on. Got so. it. Yeah. And so, yeah, hopefully you play that well. I'd love to play there sometime. So two questions. So one is, um, you know, how do I see this going? Well, we're certainly going to launch this off in, in, in Orange County and leverage all the uh, network and relationships that I have in both the space uh, on, the, on the career side. Uh, we have a lot of contact with manufacturing companies already. We're going to provide training to manufacturing companies through a grant through California. So we're going to actually train employees that are already hired. But then, you know, with, through that goodwill, also uh, create uh, opportunities for people that go through our program that will be looking for jobs. And yes, we are going to be nationwide. Um, but because this is a purpose-driven thing, I'm, I'm doing this to help others. I've been very blessed. Uh, I, I transitioned by, by luck. You uh, brought up, Troy, my <laughs> acting career. Uh, if you Google me, it, it, there's a couple of movies that come up or one, at least one movie that was a Dennis Hopper's bodyguard. And I did some a handful of commercials and some other things, but I was very fortunate. So if I can help people transition, and as I grow this out nationally, it isn't going to be me opening offices and making more money. It's going to be creating 
opportunities for other people to own a business and we're going to do it through the form of franchising so yes we will build this out once we get this rolling uh, but it makes total sense and then the golf tournament uh, is going to be march 20th at coda de casa in orange county and so we've got the date set now we're just booking celebrities and it's all going to be about celebrities and veterans interacting with each other and um, as a matter of fact one of their signature holes we're going to set up about 50 chairs only for veterans to come observe and be able to chat with all the celebrities that come through and hang out and cheer and do whatever it is they want to do and have fun. And it's going to be a lot of high energy and a lot of fun, but all the proceeds are going to go back to, to assisting veterans in some form. Okay, Dave. And I saw that you have another event next Thursday. You want to talk a little bit about that? Okay. So uh, what day is it today? So, so, so this is Friday. Okay. So this Friday I'm playing in a tournament with Marcus Williams um, Marcus Williams, uh, I've gone to his camp and helped out at his camp for the last three years. He's a safety for the Saints. He just signed a nice contract with the Ravens. Great kid. He does a free camp for 500 kids out in Eastvale. Uh, so he decided to do a golf tournament this year. And so I'm going to be joined with uh, Tracy Murray, who's another former Glendora guy. I grew up in Glendora. So Tracy Murray is a basketball guy that broke all my brother's records. So Tracy's uh, graciously uh, accepted an invite to go play. Uh, Walter Thurman, another Seahawk, uh, he's going to be coming up. And then uh, Marcus is a lot of his buddies that he plays with. And then the next day, we're going to do a camp, and that's on Saturday, a free camp out in Eastvale. I think they've filled it up, though. It fills up every year, as you can imagine. And we just have 500 kids running around, current, former NFL guys coaching them up, and we just have a blast. Um, Now, next week, I'm – sitting on a panel uh, with uh, Jelani Jenkins uh, talking about life after sport, Um, just discussing that whole transition thing and and opportunities and things to consider uh, for those of us that, you know, have, have gone through sports, not even necessarily those that, you know, got to the professional level, just, you know, every, any level of sport, there's so much that can be learned and then taken into your professional career. And I talk about it all the time when I go to speak with young people, because, you know, I didn't re- re- realize it when I was there. It wasn't until later where I saw that and where I was able to utilize the things that I learned. But just, you know, like playing alongside a teammate that I didn't get along with. And, and when I was at San Diego State, I played right tackle, my right guard, and I did not get along. But come Saturday night, come game time, if we didn't figure it out, one of us was going to sit the bench. So for those of us that have a coworker <laughs> that we don't get along with, well, we better figure it out or one of us isn't going to have a job. You know, um, learning how to play for a coach that you don't see eye to eye with, but you want to be on the field. So you got to adapt and, and work within that coach and what that coach's, coach's expectations are of you. Same thing with a boss. You know, if you don't figure that out, you're not going to have a job. So there's a lot of things that can be gleaned from playing sports, especially team sports, that carry over to your professional uh, career. So we're going to talk about those types of things. And I love doing those kind of networking deals where we could talk about you know, what we found uh, that helped us with our success and to be able to help others. Okay. Uh, my next question was back when you got drafted in 1988. What do you remember about that day? And what was the first couple of weeks uh, of being in Seattle and the kind of the transition that you uh, were uh, going through then? Well, so uh, another thing to keep in mind in 1988, uh, what were the phones? The phones were connected to walls. <laughs> you know, there were no pagers. There were no cell phones. Uh, and uh, my agent had projected I'd go like in the first seven rounds, possibly. Uh, I got to play in the Hula Bowl with Thurman Thomas and Tim Brown, Nicky Woods. And, you know, and, and I had a decent 
uh, collegiate career, but I was still a little bit unproven. Um, and San Diego State, you know, is still kind of a not widely known. You know, I mean, it was we're, we were there, we've done well, but anyway. So when I didn't get drafted the first day, I, I decided the second day I'm just gonna go with my little brother and play basketball. Um, and we just went down to, to the to the courts and we're playing basketball. When I say little brother, he's six nine and the all time leading scorer for Azusa Pacific University. So he's a pretty good basketball player. And uh, and I, I get home and my folks go, where the heck were you? And I said, yeah, I'm playing basketball. And they said, well, the Rams are calling, Green Bay's calling, and the Seahawks drafted you. I'm like, okay, so I guess I'm going to Seattle. And, uh, and you know, I, I packed up my stuff and all I owned, because I went to San Diego State and I'm a Southern California boy, all I owned were shorts and tank tops. I packed them up and I went up to Seattle. And, and I'll tell you, at first I thought, holy smokes, everyone complains about the rain. You know, we go up there in June and it's light till 11 o'clock and it's beautiful. And I'm thinking, I don't, I don't know what you guys are, are complaining about. I'm going to be just fine here. And, and then, and then, you know, September hit and they started tenting all the fields and I'm like, what are all these tents for? And they go, you'll see. <laughs> and then it turned into Seattle, you know, but the first, the first few weeks were, you know, I guess like any, any rookie you guys talk to, it's, you know, um, a little unsure. I had some early success because I was a six, seven, two ninety five, which back then was big. Um, but I was running with the tight ends and, and the linebackers. I was in really good shape, uh, actually made the papers for that. It was obvious that I was doing, you know, pretty well. So I, I, I got some early confidence, but there, you know, you're still playing against, you know, seven, eight year, you know, vets that like to win, you know, when it comes to practice. And I was playing mostly against Jacob green, who was an all pro a number of years. And, and I remember, man, we would get into these battles and he goes, rookie, this is my drill. I'm supposed to win. I'm like, I'm trying to make a team, bro. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. I got to win a couple. And, uh, but it was, you know, it was, it was just, it was a great experience. It was nerve wracking, certainly at times, but, um, but I'll tell you I, a, a funny story. If, if, you, if we have a minute to do it, I don't know what our time yeah, deal is here, but go ahead. So. When it, when it looked like when it looked like things were going kind of well, a couple of the, the veteran offensive linemen said, you know, hey, Dave, after second practice, we go grab beers before, you know, the evening meetings. So you know, why don't you come join us? And I'm thinking, oh, cool. But I didn't want to just go by myself. So I invited another rookie to go with me. And we both show up. And those guys came out and they looked at me and they said, what's he doing here? I, I, I didn't know. And I guess we didn't invite him. We invited you. So anyway, so it was a little awkward. But went in and uh, of course my job was to not always buy the beer but I was to get them you know and I was constantly going up and, and getting pictures and uh, a, a person the only non-offensive lineman that was there was Brian Bosworth and I know you guys know the boss um, and most people um, that follow football are familiar with with the boss well Brian uh, and I got to know him was, was really a, a neat guy and and the reason he was there was because he had written a book the previous year and he called out the Seattle offensive lineman saying, you dubs offensive line was better than the Seahawks and a lot of negative things about him. So he was making amends. So Brian would pay for the beer and I'd go get it. And, uh, and the discussion was coming up. I don't know if you guys remember um, the Terminator, the movie and the gargoyle glasses yeah. that uh, uh, Schwarzenegger wore. And um, Brian used to wear them. And they came to Brian and said, hey, look, we want to make a line for you called 44 Blues. And so he was telling the guys about it and all the linemen going, Hey, I want a pair. And he said, of course, you know, yeah, I'll get you a pair. I'll get you a pair. So I chimed in. I said, Hey, Brian, can I get a pair? And he looked at me and said, look, 
You just worry about making the team. I said, okay, all right, <laughs> I'll go get some more beer. And, uh, and it was, it was really kind of a neat thing for me. Anyways, the day of final cuts, when, uh, when I wasn't, you know, asked to go see Chuck with my playbook and, and I sat down in my locker on the top shelf was a pair of 44 blues. And that was really kind of cool. I didn't need to ask. I didn't need to say anything. And, and, you know, it was the, the day I made the team, he made good on his word. And, and that's, that's Brian, Brian Bosworth is a great, a great guy. He was one of the first people to grasp branding himself. And that was the boss, a whole different persona. Awesome. Will, what do you got? So speaking of your time in Seattle, when you were in Seattle, it was the kingdom. Mm. How would you compare the noise at the kingdom compared to the noise at CenturyLink or Lumen Field or whatever it's called now? You cannot compare the kingdom to any stadium. Uh, it was, it was amazing how loud it was. It was deafening. Your ears would ring for the entire next day. We could not literally have a, when they were in full throat, uh, and who is it that says that, but when they're in full throat, it, you couldn't have a conversation with the person standing next to you. It was just that amazing. And it, it was nothing like it because, you know, it's fun playing in front of a, of a crowd like that. Now I will tell you, and I'm going to call it Central League because I really don't know what it's called either anymore. That for an outdoor stadium is extremely loud. You know, I've been to you know now whatever the new one is that we have, uh, SoFi, and uh, saw the the Rams and the Seahawks game this year, and really surprisingly, it's it's so vast. It's such a weird stadium. You know, it's just every, the whole thing just goes back. You know, most stadiums, everything's laddered on top of each other and everyone's stacked and it's just, boom, you're right there and you're right on the field and everyone's screaming. Uh, the SoFi Stadium, it just, it's beautiful. It's huge. I just don't think it's well designed for the game experience, especially if you're having to go, you know, sit way back up on top. But playing in the kingdom, man, just nothing like it anywhere. Awesome. Um, my next question, you, you mentioned the Boz, but you played with some really great uh, playmakers and personalities in Seattle, uh, Dave Craig, Hall of Famer, Steve Largent, and your coach was Chuck Knox. Mm -hmm. um, just tell me about that experience of uh, getting coached by Chuck Knox, uh, Knox, one of the legendary coaches, and, um, you know, basically blocking for the Hall of Fame Steve Largent. Yeah, so I would tell you, that, that Steve, well, you look at that cat and you wouldn't know he was a ball player. You know, he just, whatever he was, 5'10", and Buck 80. Um, I don't know that he ever worked out, but he, but, but he worked. And when you watched him practice and gosh, whatever year it was, the final two years, I think it was when I was there, um, he would lay out for passes. He didn't need to do that, you know, and he would turn, he would turn the DBs around. He ran every route in precision and, and, and made maximum effort uh, at every practice. And we were hall of famer, that's not necessary, but that was Steve Largent. And he was a, a leader in the locker room. Uh, just a great man. Uh, I, I, I just really admired him the way he carried himself. Now playing for Chuck. If you were a veteran, you were good with Chuck. Chuck was a veterans coach, you know, and he had his boys and he, and he brought them along and carried them. Um, just before that, that day of final cuts that I shared with you, we, uh, our final practice of two a days before we broke camp, uh, we were going a one-on-one -on -one drill 
and I'm going against uh, Tony Woods, which was our best rusher, uh, stand-up outside linebacker. And uh, so it was my it was my turn. I went against Tony, and, and I did well. Then usually, then it's the next guy's turn. Chuck goes again, and Chuck normally doesn't watch one-on-one drills. Chuck goes again, so Tony lines up. We go again. Tony gets me. Chuck goes again. Well, Tony's getting a little irritated. He's a vet. He doesn't need to be doing this. And I'm starting to get a little winded. So the second one, or the third one now, so we, we go, you know, and I, and, and I fare pretty well. Chuck goes, again. Now, Tony's pissed. And he's, and he, and he yeah. you know, and he's huffing and puffing. I'm huffing and puffing. And this is, like I said, the final day of two days. And, and I don't remember if it was the fourth or the fifth rep that we did. We were both exhausted. Tony came and I just tackled him and took him to the ground. He came up swinging. I came up swinging and I'm looking and every offensive lineman had grabbed a defensive lineman and throwing blows and just throwing blows. And the paper the next day, rookie breaks camp with brawl, <laughs> but playing with Chuck, man, it was, he was, he was hardcore. He was, uh, you know, some would call him a player's coach, but I think if you were one of his guys, absolutely. Um, if you were on the periphery or you're trying to earn it, man, he, he made you earn it. Great stuff. What do you got, Will? Let's see. So I know we talked about the Sierra Delta Foundation specifically. For those that own what the Sierra Delta Foundation is and what it's meant for you, it's to help veterans. What is the Sierra Delta Foundation? What that's all about from what you've experience with some of those events that you've done with those folks so i believe i believe sierra, sierra delta um has uh some affiliation with um work dogs and providing those kind of uh programs i believe um you know we, when uh, when we got invited to do it you know uh, snoop dog was hosting it and and frankly um when uh when i saw it was a, a veterans deal we just we just all we just all showed up and it was neat we had um kurt warner and jeff garcia you know quarterbacks from you know i mean jeff garcia was a quarterback with the niners i don't know eight nine years within within the league and uh, kyle turley another san diego state guy first round draft pick offensive lineman most people would know kyle kind of a madman in the nfl and had a nice i think nine or ten year career and um and uh, and we had and we had others but the real the real celebrities on that field were the veterans there's two uh guys that played with uh out a lower without legs they were playing on their hands um i think one's name is zion who's relatively famous um if you look up zion he's i mean and he was a beast out there and he just he took he was just on his arms and just throw his body it was it was really amazing you know we had guys uh john um uh, who i've gotten to know uh yeah i think he's john F carver fiber fiber carbon is his uh uh, Instagram, but he competes now weightlifting and, uh, you know, and, and he's running routes and it's starting to get a little slippery out there. I said, hey, go, you know, getting a little tough to, to run out of here. And he goes, I'll still beat you. I go, well, yeah, I probably will. Um, but that was a lot of fun. It was, they, they were, they had, a, they were having a great time. There was one guy who is, uh, you know, bound to a, a mechanical wheelchair who carried the ball. And I think he almost scored a touchdown and, uh, and, and, and we didn't let him. The vets beat us, but they did have Kurt Warner as a quarterback. <laughs> it did help a little bit. It was funny on one of the routes. You know, I I don't, and I, I don't I don't run well anymore. But 
I'm running down the sideline. I was open and, and Jeff Garcia, you know, sailed it over my head. And I'm like, Jeff, I go, I'm a 57 year old lineman. That's my speed. I don't have any breaking speed and I have zero vertical. You got to throw it to me. You know, he's used to leading the guy and getting it up in the air so I can make a snatch. You know, I'm like, man, you got you to put it right in our hands, bro. <laughs> it was a good time. Awesome. Uh, you're NFLPA vice president in Orange County. Uh, California for people that don't know where that is. Um, how has the NFL or has the NFL done a better job in the last few years helping with uh, not only medical, but mental health services and what can they do better uh, in your opinion? Well, it, it's, you know, it, it, it's tough, you know, they're bound by the collective bargaining agreements and all the legalities and the union and, and all those things. Um, there certainly seems to be a, an effort and acknowledgement that, especially as older guys, um, are starting to see some of the, the downward effects of, of concussions. Um, and so the younger guys are much more aware. We, we weren't aware. Now, they've, they come out with benefits. The, the problem is, though, that it's still difficult to qualify for a lot of them. Um, I just went through one and, um, you know, they, they change the parameters and they, you know, they, they, they they give a little bit and then they take something away and just, it, it's still difficult for us to navigate a lot of it. And the other thing is that what I think we need to do is a better effort of, of unionizing the, the, the benefits. Cause there's the NFL alumni association, which is separate from the NFL PA, which is separate from the pro football retired players association. So that latter one is funded by the owners to provide stopgap type uh, benefits for players that aren't vested like myself, like dental and vision and things of that nature. But none of those entities speak to each other. They, they, they are defined and they, and they have walls and they don't want any affiliation with each other. So their benefits are very exclusive to themselves. And so it's hard for guys to figure out, okay, which ones do, do we get? You know, like when, when most of us leave a job, we go through HR and we get our packet, right? And then here's your benefits and here's your Cobra and here's what you had and, and so forth. There is no exit uh, interview in the NFL. You get cut and, and, and you're off to the doctor to get your final checkup and then you're on the plane going home. And so uh, a lot of guys just don't know. And that's really what I take a lot of pride in. I've helped a lot of my friends that were like me that are unvested, but still are, are entitled to some, some great benefits. And, uh, and it's nice to hear back from them and them thanking me for, for vision and for dental and for some of the little things that they're, they're entitled to on the mental aspect of it. You know, I think everyone's heard about the concussion lawsuit. It was made, you know, kind of people, people were made aware of it through the movie concussion. And that's just, uh, it, it's, it's a difficult program. It's a difficult thing for guys to qualify for. And there's, there's just, there's just been some issues with it. They're still working on it. There's also a cognitive disability uh, benefit uh, of which I qualified for, but then they changed the parameters and then had to appeal and then they denied it, but I still received something for it and they are doing, you know, some things, but it's still difficult for the older players. There's still their parameters and there's things, uh, restrictions placed, but what's unfair is that we didn't know about it. If, you know, you think about it. If there was a, if there was a benefit and we knew about it, we would have applied but now we're finding out late in life and they're saying, well, you should have, you should have applied for that earlier. Well, we didn't know it was even there. So there's, there's still some things that we can still remedy and, and do better. 
but they but there's it's it's constantly a discussion of what they can do we just need to keep defining it okay thank you uh will got anything else mm. so you've seen how the football the game of football has changed overall mm. the last 30 years since you've been active in the in football what do you feel has changed for the good and what do you think needs to improve from the actual product on the field so so one one thing that is uh, i think is apparent to everybody watching the game is is the amount of money and the amount of money has changed the game players today are very conscientious of themselves and their brand and um and and maybe a little bit entitled and with all of the money now being guaranteed i think some of the i think some of the performance it lacks because if you think about a player that's on a two and 12 team with a couple games left his money is guaranteed there's no benefit to him going all out you know they're, they're, it's not like they're, they're gonna make the playoffs or anything and you see a little bit of drop in performance in that in those instances you know, there's a lot of guys that play for pride, but I will, I will tell you, you can watch the game and notice the difference. The other thing is, is that how many times do we see guys score a touchdown and they push their teammates away and they, you know, show their number or they point to the name on the back of the Jersey. So going back to Troy, you bring up Steve Largent, that guy caught a ball. And then when he was done with catching the ball, he handed the ball to the referee, went, congratulated his teammate, went back to the huddle and then did it again. And it was much more a team sport than it is today. It's, 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 it's about a lot of times the individual players and we're seeing, you know, and rightfully so the, the game, you're not, you're not going to play it for very long. There's no reason not to chase money through free agency, you know, make as much as you possibly can, you know, that's fine, but it's still a team sport and you're playing for the fans. You're playing for, you know, the, that emblem on the side of the helmet and, and your teammates and your fans. You know, you're, you're getting paid. You don't need to point your name out to anybody. They know, you know, and so a little bit is just the way the game is played. The money is, is certainly an issue. Uh, for me, it was easy for me to walk away. So I played two years in the world league after the NFL up in Montreal. It was owned by the NFL owners and the NF, the world league was around for two years. It disbanded because of plan B and it came back NFL Europe. So that's the history of the world. League. It was only around for a little while. And after my second year there, and I had gotten to be about 355 pounds. I was, I was big. And, and uh, the Raiders and the Redskins were interested in having me come to camp. But I had met a guy while I was acting. And uh, I ran a club called the Roxbury in Hollywood. So if you guys have seen the movie, the Roxbury, that's a real place. That It wasn't like anything like the movie. But the Roxbury was the who's who of Hollywood. We had Prince, Stallone, Eddie Murphy, always. Every night was just on. Well, I met a gentleman there and he offered uh, me to come work for him as a project manager. And I said, well, you know, hey, I'd love to do that, but I have a chance to still play football. He goes, how much can you earn? So I looked up average offensive lineman, you know, four or five years in the league. And average back then was 250,000. League minimum was 60. And I said, well, I said, you know what, if everything works out, probably about 250,000. He goes, you can make that working for me. And I went... I'm good with football, man. All right, let's do it. You know, today, the average offensive lineman makes about 2.5 million. And I would have been taking my butt to camp trying to make a team. 
And that's why we see so many young people and so many leagues out there now, you know, kids playing, you know, into their late twenties, early thirties, trying to make a, a roster because the money's so doggone good. Okay. Mike, I have, or excuse me, Dave, I have one more question to ask you kind of, and you kind of touched base about life after football. Uh, you said you did some acting worked mm-hmm. uh, worked at the Roxbury, but um, just discuss kind of the, some of the other things that you did after football, um, you know, any struggles for the people that are out there that are, you know, they've done something um, and then they had some struggles and some letdowns and then kind of your story, you know, for those that don't know, can you kind of discuss a little bit about that? Sure. So I I shared this actually at athletes in action uh, function during the Super Bowl week. Um, It's the first time I shared this story amongst my peers. I've shared my story with, with folks that have struggled uh, with, uh, with partying and independency. And, and, uh, I was a little apprehensive about doing it, but afterwards when, you know, I've one of the best Seahawks ever to play the game, Sean Alexander come up and thank me for sharing the story and, and, and others that were in attendance. Uh, I just decided it's, it's time for me to start sharing this because, um, you know, if you look at my LinkedIn, it's all true. It's all, I mean, I've had a very blessed life and a very blessed career, but there's some things that aren't on there. And, um, I, uh, I had a 20-year financial planning uh, career. I ended up having my own, uh, my own little boutique office that I was you know, uh, the owner and uh, CEO of and doing quite well. And, and I just got into uh, partying. And you know, when, when life starts going a little bit sideways, then you start you know, going sideways with it. And, and really what happened was I got away from, from my faith. Uh, I started just... Um, uh, you know, being somewhat of, of a derelict. And what happened was I ended up losing, you know, everything. And, and I, and I tell the story, you know, I've been benched twice in my life. One time I was playing against BYU. I was getting my butt kicked and my coach goes, hey, I, I was like about to go in for the four series and I get this tug on the shoulder and the coach goes, son, you're embarrassing me. You're embarrassing your parents up there and you're embarrassing yourself. <laughs> Sit this series out and decide if you want to play. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I, I knew it was going bad, but I didn't know that bad. And I sat on that bench and I said, yeah, I'm going to be back out there. That's what this is all about. I finally got the starting position. We're playing for the WAC championship, playing against BYU, and I'm going to be on that field. But I can't very well go back out there doing the same thing and expect a different result. So I had to change up how I was blocking this guy. Sean Knight ended up being an All-American first-round draft pick and in, in a nice a professional career. And I got lineman of the game. So fast forward to me getting my butt kicked in life and making some bad decisions. Uh, and, and losing everything. I sat on a park bench. I was literally at a park bench in my hometown. I had pretty much lost everything. I was spiritually, emotionally, financially bankrupt. And, uh, and it was like God was telling me, son, <laughs> you're embarrassing me. You're embarrassing your parents and you're embarrassing yourself. You know, you've been blessed with this great life. I've been blessed with you with so much. And, and this is what you've decided to do with it. Now you sit here and you decide if you want to figure this out and, and live the life that I have planned for you. And, and I did. And I, and I prayed and I turned my life around. Um, and you know, that, that was only seven years ago, uh, that I lost everything. And now I sit on, on, on boards of companies. I've, I've, you know, uh, helped launch a, a company. I'm the vice president of the NFLPA, as mentioned, um, and involved with Aztec football. And I speak a lot to, to young people to let them know that it doesn't matter how bad you failed, um, that, you know, you only lose if you quit and you can always turn it around. And, and my, my, I literally started over with a cell phone and a $50 Starbucks card had lost everything. And, um, and it's, you know, it's, 
it's a story, like I said, and it's something also resonates when, when I'm talking with folks that are in incarceration. It's like, gosh, you know, how do I start over? Well, I don't know. I walked to a gym for a minimum wage job. And then my first paycheck, I got a bus pass. I used to have five cars, you know, how, how humiliating and humbling is that for me to go get a bus pass to get to work and then saved up enough money to buy a car at 28% interest, you know, and that's how you start over. It's just one thing at a time and one begets the next thing and you, you just keep moving forward. And for me, uh, it was, it was my faith in God and getting back in line with that, that, uh, that helped me a lot. Awesome. Uh, well, Dave, so go ahead, Will, you have something? I have one last thing feeding off of speaking to young people. A lot of the young people are seeing like this name image likeness or NIL. Yes. What are your feelings about that from back then to now versus the NIL stuff that they have available? Well, 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 you know, and, and Troy, you, you both know. <laughs> they, they throw something like that out there. It's going to be abused. Texas A&M did it. You know, they front loaded all these kids money with millions of dollars and they got the best recruiting class of anybody in the country. Well, how can San Diego State compete with Texas A&M that have, you know, multi-millions of dollars of, of booster money that they can fund these NILs? They're unregulated. The, the university has no idea how much money is going into them. Um, it, can, it, it goes back to when, you know, <clears throat> before, well, before I uh, came out, but where boosters were just paying guys to come play. And so well, like we saw what happened in the NFL, you know, you start giving 17, 18, 19-year-old kids a million dollars, where's the incentive? You know, and boy, how easy to get caught into the trappings of having money like that in your in your young mind, not having any grasp that a million is not that much money. It, I mean, it's not bad, but it's not that much. It's not sustaining if you don't plan correctly. And so it, it's it's something that I think, you know, if it were just thought a little bit better, thought out a little bit better and managed and regulated and 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 fair. Um, the other thing that's going to happen is you're going to have the two stars on the team getting all the money and the rest of the players not getting really anything. And then there's going to be animosity and jealousy and, and just natural things that young people that don't understand uh, those things, you know, it's going to maybe, you know, divide some teams even. We're starting to see some schools trying to equal things out with the stars actually, you know, uh, trying to spread things out. Uh, I've had discussions with a number of people. And, and how to bring that to San Diego State University to benefit their players. You know, I mean, if it's available to them, we got to try and do it, but try and do it equally. And, um, you know, so we don't get that, that uh, divide. All right. Well, Dave, I really appreciate you joining us today. Um, but like, once again, I want to ask if there's anybody that wants to help out in what you're doing with the First and Goal Project employers, um, how can they do that and get a hold of you? Well, check, check, uh, you can go to um, uh, uh, LinkedIn and uh, and contact me there. I just met with a guy today. It's the coolest thing. And that might not be cool for you younger guys, but it's this tap technology. And he, and he developed this little wristband that I could just tap to a phone anytime I see anybody and it pulls up my LinkedIn, uh, you know, and so, and he's going to be out in my golf tournament and he, he does shirts. He could tap a shirt and it just goes to, you know, the connect deal. Anyways, but, um, or you could just shoot me an email at Dave at the first one ST and goal project.com. And I'd be happy to answer any questions that anybody has about what we're doing and, and how to get involved. 
Um, I, I have a lot of people want just want to contribute. They want to contribute, volunteer, and help. And it's just amazing the outpouring of people that want to help veterans or help other people just trying to change their lives. And that's what we're doing. All right, great. Well, we'll have your email up again for the those people that want to reach out to you. Uh, I'm sure there will be some. So once again, Dave, thanks for joining us today. And um, we'll look back to maybe we'll talk to you again in the future. That would be great. We'll get you guys out uh, uh, for, for the golf tournament or uh, if nothing else, maybe a Super Bowl in Arizona, right? You guys, yeah, you guys hobnobbed this year, so I know you'll be out there. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be out there next year in Arizona. We're already looking forward to that. So Good. Yeah, we'll, we'll have some fun then. I'm already counting down to Arizona, so maybe I'll have my <laughs> golf swing ready by Arizona <laughs> or March 20th. It'll be well, even yeah, better well, practice. in your golf tournament. That'd be awesome, guys. All right. Thanks a lot, Dave. All right. Be blessed, guys. Thank you. Yep, bye-bye. Thank you.